Welcome to Coffee and Converse. I'm Diane and this is a show for lifestyle entrepreneurs, those people building a business to support their life instead of living to build a business. If this is you, stick around for strategies on doing business more efficiently with more ease and in a way that feels oh so good to you. Hey, hey, today's guests, Lindsay Cambridge and Martin Huntbatch run Jammy Digital, an award-winning SEO and content marketing agency where they help businesses find and retain higher paying clients who don't gobble up their time like Pac-Man. As they're on the front lines of content marketing, I wanted to invite them on the show to chat about the impact and considerations of using AI in our content marketing. Hey, Lindsay and Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. I am excited to dive in, but... Let's start with a little intro to both of you and to Jammy Digital. So, yeah, my name's Martin and this is Lindsay. We run Jammy Digital, a content marketing agency together. We write content for lots of people and probably not enough for ourselves. Isn't that always the way, right? What's it? Cobbler's kids go unshod or something along those lines. Exactly. It's going to be a very <laughs> British episode for everyone. <laughs> okay. So let's define content marketing. What is the scope? that you consider content marketing? Because I think lots of people have very differing definitions of it. Is it social? Is it SEO? Do we think about design? What goes into content marketing? Oh, it's a really good question, actually, because I do think there's so much confusion around it. Some people think it's, yeah, like you said, social media, and some people think it's blog posts. But essentially, it's about creating content that helps your customers or potential customers make a buying decision. And it doesn't really matter where that content is, whether that's on your website, whether it's on social media, it doesn't matter. It just has to be extremely valuable content for your potential customers. So if we thought about a funnel, it's essentially everything that we put out ahead of a sales call or a buying decision. Yeah, I mean, we, we found also that the content journey, sometimes it stops there. And this is one of the thing that we one of the things that we speak about a lot, which is just because somebody's bought doesn't mean that the content should end. We don't see this phantom, you know, line that people seem to think, which is let's put out as much content as possible in order to get the client and then they stop hearing from us and then they just deal with our internal processes. We actually like the idea of moving people through the buying process once they've already purchased using content or more specifically, we like to call it process content. So as an example, somebody who builds websites for clients, for instance, they might think, oh, I need to talk about why your website's so important. But actually, there's lots of things that need to happen after somebody buys a website or someone buys a product or service from you. And it's about getting them through the process to become successful. Content can help clients become successful rather than helping clients become clients. Wow. I think like my brain just exploded because the website example is such a good one because I can remember getting my website done and her being like, okay, let's do an empathy map. And me going, what is an empathy map? How do we do an empathy map? And so that could actually be content that's available to me on that journey instead of her having to sit there and go, okay, so an empathy map is, and this is why you should care. And is that kind of what you mean with the process content? I think it's a case of us just having responsibility for our client's success. And even if it feels like, well, I've, I've, I've done what I said I was going to do, it's still best for everyone if we provide enough content so that they become successful. So a prime example would be, you know, like I said, 
with dealing with a website example, it would be a case of, okay, so you need to write some website copy. Well, you might be a web designer, but you might not be a, a content writer or a copywriter. And it would be easy for you to say, not my problem. You know, I've done what I've said I'm going to do. I've designed an amazing website, but actually there's so many missing pieces of the puzzle. And if you can't serve somebody or you can't potentially provide a service for that thing, then why not just provide some free content? Why not help them become successful and to get through your process quicker? It's only going to improve, you know, the relationship and, you know, there's loads of people out there that can help. So it might be how you can hire someone to write your website content. It doesn't have to be how to do it yourself. It could be many different ways, but it's our responsibility to take ownership, I think. And, you know, you, you've probably dealt with enough clients to work out what kind of pitfalls there are along the road and what kind of barriers they might, they might occur. So it's just, you know, it's just nice to know that when you take a client on, you have the tools, the assets, the resources, and the content to help more people become successful and fewer people have that buyer's remorse. I think people's heads are going to explode at this idea. And it leads very nicely into what we were here today to talk about, because you just increased their workload, right? Everybody's already going like, oh my gosh, I have to write so much content. You've gone, goodness, there's still more that you haven't thought of. So that's where we are. And then in November 2022, ChatGPT rolls out to the world. And it felt like there was this kind of explosion, especially in the small business space. And so we suddenly saw this stream of ads. I don't know, every man and his dog seems to have a chat GPT prompts package that's available for like $9.99 or whatever. And then we've got the two kind of pieces of commentary that are happening on the one end, how this is going to help us massively in small businesses because it provides almost assistant level support which now that we know we also have to write process copy is very helpful. But then on the other side, we've got the kind of, ooh, AI is dangerous. We are living in iRobot. The machines are going to take over. So you're on the front lines of content. Where do you stand on AI? Pros, cons, concerns? We actually are quite unusual, I think, for a content writing agency in that we are quite excited about AI and what it can bring. So we are not supporters of creating all your content using AI and simply copying and pasting that content onto your website or onto social media because AI essentially is just regurgitating what it's already been given. So if you use AI in that way, you're essentially regurgitating what's already out there. What AI can do really, really well is if you create an amazing original piece of content It can then help you turn that content into other pieces of content. It's really good at repurposing it for you. So you're the one essentially feeding AI this amazing original piece of content. And you're saying, okay, take this blog post I've created and make it into a a Twitter thread or a LinkedIn post or make it into a podcast script for me or a short, real TikTok video script. And that's where AI we found with our clients can be absolutely amazing. And we've actually hired someone just to do this job for us where they take our clients' content and they use ChatGPT to turn it into other pieces of content for our clients. And it just maximizes the amazing content that they've already got. So you don't use it in the creation or the idea generation stage. You kind of use it off the back end of like, I'm going to create all the content anyway in my head. And then this will do the repurposing engine for me. I still use it to help me create 
So it can be really, really good, as you said, as like an assistant that's by your side. You know, imagine just someone by your side and you're like, what is the word for this thing? I say chat GPT all the time. I'm like, it begins with a B. What's this word? (laughs) It will tell me. Or just things like, you know, I've got this quite complex idea. How would you explain that to a 10-year-old? You can give that, you know, prompt to ChatGPT and and it can help you kind of really simplify what you're saying. It's there really, really good as an assistant to help you. But the original ideas, the personal stories, the all those kind of things, you always come from us and, and our brains. We use ChatGPT to do the doing, but we do we still do the thinking. And if you're if you're using AI to do the doing, that to do the thinking, then it's not going to be original thoughts. I use it yeah. if I'm like if I'm thinking through a concept, I'll almost have a conversation with ChatGPT about like, oh, how would I say this? Like, this is what I'm trying to say in my mangly language. Can you make that like cohesive? And then I do the same thing. Like, okay, ten year old person who has no tech knowledge or whatever, until it simplifies it for me. So. I feel like I go backwards and forwards with it a lot, almost like in yeah. a conversation in that idea generation stage. I haven't found it's been great for me for repurposing, and this probably reflects more on me than anything else. Like I'll throw in a transcript for a podcast and be like, okay, this is the format I do show notes. This is what I'm looking for in each section. And it completely ignores me and just writes its own thing. And I'm like, well, oh, that took me longer than just writing the show notes for this episode. <laughs> so... <laughs> Maybe I need to buy somebody's ChatGPT podcast show notes prompts pack or something like that. There's probably that out there, yeah. Probably, right? So where do you stand on like the dangers of AI? Like people saying that we have no control over it, that when you feed your blog into it, you've now essentially given your content to the internet. Yeah, I think this has always, that's always been the case. So anyone who has access to the internet Probably, you know, if they wanted to, could already access your content, could already access your email, probably a home address. You know, there's, it's always been out there. And I think the reality is, is we want people to find our content. We always have. This is how we can rank on the first page of Google for super targeted keywords. And this is how you can increase your website traffic from 1,000 to 10,000 to 100,000. So you want your content to be out in the world. So I think... It is a decision people have to make, which is if you're publishing your content online, it is accessible. You know, even YouTube, for instance, for years, people have been taking other people's YouTube videos because it's in, you know, it's on that platform. It's allowed legally. It's allowed for someone to take your YouTube video and your content. And even if they slightly reword it, it's still legally, you know, in their, in their eyes, it's it's been changed enough. It's I'm doing nothing illegal. So it's always been the case. Our our sort of goal for our business is to be the most helpful company in the world in what we talk about. And I think actually we were speaking about Marcus Sheridan before we hit record. And Marcus actually said something really interesting, which is when someone, you know, ripped off his book or started giving it away on a free website, he didn't get mad, he didn't get angry, he was just these messages this 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 experience that i have if more people hear about it because somebody's done this thing and people's ripped it off and people have shared it and downloaded it and tried to create it as their own it's still out there and i think you have to kind of pick a camp really you know nobody likes their ideas being taken and being reused by anybody but if your goal is bigger than 
your intellectual property and whether or not you think, you know, this is my idea. You know, lots of people have taken our content, our brand and our about page. <laughs> a lot of that's happened anyway, even before ChatGPT came around. So I think if you've got that overall goal and that mission for your business and you have a goal bigger than yourself, that becomes less of an issue. So I do think it's more about having your own ideas, having your own identity, having your own methodologies and your frameworks and actually publishing more content out there feels like you're protecting yourself even more. If you were to keep everything that you know locked up and only give it to your clients, then nobody would ever hear that it was your idea or your methodology or your framework or your system. So by putting it out there in the world, you get to own it first. And even if it gets reused time and time again and ripped off and copied, you still have that original source and providing that you shout enough about it, people will know that it's yours and they'll tell you if it happens. That's what's happened to us anyway. I like that reframe, right? Especially goes really nicely with, okay, if you use ChatGPT to then amplify your message to do all the repurposing that you're not currently doing to amplify it, it just solidifies A, the message and B, that it came from you. So let's talk plagiarism and copyright. So honestly, with a blog, probably not such a big issue. But like if somebody's writing a book, I read an article that argued that legally you can't claim copyright for something that AI helped you to write. How do we use AI in a way that is we're not the person accidentally stealing somebody else's content, right? Because it does have access to the world. And even if you put in your blog and you say, hey, I would love to add, like, can you add a bit here? Can you add a bit there? Can you fluff this up a bit? So you're not using it to write the whole blog. There's still a chance that it's gone and taken that from somebody else. So how do we ethically use AI or is there a way to check that anything that you get is plagiarism? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think a lot of people are rightfully talking about this and how we use AI ethically. And I think that I try, what I try to do is imagine what I did before AI came along, which was obviously I didn't, you know, I wasn't born knowing everything there is to know about content marketing. So I had to do my own research, my own learning, my own understanding of the topic, which was written and or discussed by other people. So we are naturally, we have always done that. We have always learned because we aren't born with this knowledge. We have to learn from other sources. So I think what I try and do when I use AI is I, like you said, have that conversation with it where we're trying, where I'm trying to explore ideas, but it all comes from, from my brain. You know, I'm not saying, can you just write this for me or giving it a, a random topic saying, okay, write me 500 words on this topic. That's absolutely not how I use AI. I say something like, okay, I've got this story about a client and I want this lesson to come through in it. You know, it's about the, you know, the the benefits of content marketing. I've got this story with a client that I can use, like, you know, what kind of, you know, metaphors could I use in this, in this story? And it will help me with things like that. But that's how I use AI. So it's, it's about using it in a way where I would probably instead use Google to, to help me with certain things and, and research certain things, but it wouldn't be something where the original content would be coming from that platform. That's how I use it anyway. So it's kind of like a research and, and learning tool, the same way like if you were studying at university or something, you would read a textbook, absorb the knowledge, and then teach that in your own way. I wouldn't use, I probably wouldn't use AI even for kind of learning as such. So if I wanted to research a particular topic, 
I would probably still go to kind of more kind of trusted sources where I could, you know, say this is where I got this source from. This is where I got this source from. But sourcing things in my article is very important to me. So they are full of links <laughs> to external sources. And I think that's another thing, you know, if you are saying this is fact, then you can't just say, okay, well, I got this from ChatGPT and put that as your source. You know, you have to find the original you know, research or original, you know, things that have gone behind you actually saying that. And that's another thing to remember as well. It's funny because I've just finished an MBA and as part of my final project, obviously had a massively like sourced project paper. And I knew there was a particular stat that I was looking for. I knew exactly what the stat was and I couldn't remember which company had the stat. And I tried Google, I tried everything. And I went into ChatGPT and I was like, I'm looking for this particular stat and I want you to cite the source for me. Oh my goodness. Not only was it completely wrong, the research that it cited to me wasn't even on the same topic. It wasn't even like closely connected. I was like, you took like one word, like team or something and decided that this was the stat. I obviously went and checked, but it would be so easy to just be like, oh, let me just cite the source because it does such a professional job of it of like citing the source beautifully like you would in like a research paper or whatever, but it does tend to hallucinate. Do you think it stops hallucinating when you say don't hallucinate? Like I know that this is the latest thing to add into a prompt is like don't hallucinate. Does it know it's hallucinating? I'm not that sure. <laughs> if you have to kind of tell something not to hallucinate, I'm not sure how trustworthy that is. Maybe go to sources when you don't have to say. <laughs> so... Unfortunately, coming with this AI, like the way you use it is probably not how a lot of people are using it. I think a lot of people are using it in a way that is, write me a blog on X topic, 500 words, copy, paste, shove on websites. Create social media posts, copy, paste, shove on Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever. So we're already in this pretty red ocean of content and we now have this tidal wave of more fairly mediocre content coming at us as people try to rank, as people try to market their business, whatever it is. How do we make sure that our content stands out in that sea of just blah? Because it was already pretty hard. Exactly. I think that's one of the side effects really is it's quite easy to spot people being ultra lazy right now, you know, just commenting on everything on LinkedIn, for instance, using chat GPT or creating very thin articles. And I think there's there's an element to this, which is a there's a big opportunity for you to use this to stand out. And when we talk about standout content and creating a memorable experience for your reader, there are plenty of things that you can do that ChatGPT can't do. You know, unless you spent a full day crafting the perfect prompt and the perfect exact things that you need to include it's just far easier to create it yourself by having a little bit of empathy with your reader, understanding the problems and the pain points that people are going through, who you're trying to help, creating genuine content from the conversations that you're having with your potential clients, with your existing clients, with your audience, with your community. It's very easy for you to create content if you listen first. Now, the reality is, is that ChatGPT can't do a lot of things well. You know, we've basically spent this entire interview like explain what it can't do and then the mistakes that it makes. So just from being honest and transparent and more human with your content, 
it can elevate it so that you do stand out and it will get picked up and it will get noticed because there is a lot of bad content at the moment. So things like, you know, examples and things like that, and you can use ChatGPT to sort of formalize certain ideas that you've got, but ultimately it needs to feel like you're having a conversation. That's always been the case. You can't publish a piece of content using ChatGPT or any AI tool and have it connect with people right now. You know, the stories that you have within your business, within your relationships, the just just the power that you have within the passion that you have for your niche. Like, what is it that you care about? Your opinions, your stories, the the things that have happened that you really feel strongly about. You know, this is what makes you stand out and allows you to create standout content. It's all of those things combined whilst also educating or entertaining people. So there's a lot of things that it can help you with, but it would be, and we, we say this all the time, you know, content writers, they feel threatened by chat GPT and AI tools, but actually we would really, really love it if a tool could do what we could do because we we want to get results for our clients. And if we could publish twice as many articles using ChatGPT and it would create the content that we create for our clients, then great, because we get double the amount of content out there. We get double the number of keywords ranking on the first page, double the number of traffic, and it's just going to make our lives so much easier. So we've spent just countless hours, evenings and weekends, testing ChatGPT, testing AI tools to see if it can do even a fraction of what we do when it comes to understanding your clients' pain points and objectives. And if, if it was there, we would be using it to create content. It's just not, unfortunately, and maybe someday it will be, but up until that stage, it's your kind of job to just really create content that's honest and transparent and really connects with people. And rather than think about what Google want or the algorithms or what keywords you want to include or what keywords you want to rank for, if you solely just create content that's going to help your audience solve problems, then you will get the rankings as a result of it. You will get the traffic. You'll get people reaching out to you saying that this content was super helpful. You'll get people sharing and connecting with you online and offline. And it just, it makes everything easier. Now, if ChatGPT got to the point where it could do all that, wonderful, because we would have to do less work and we could double the amount of content and double the amount of output. And, you know, one day it might be there, but right now it's not, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's about creating the, as, as Martin said, creating the kind of content that, you know, no one else can create but you. If you look at a piece of content that you've created and think to yourself, can I, could anyone else write this or, you know, do a video on it or a podcast? And, you know, this podcast is a good example. ChatGPT couldn't do this. <laughs> you know, this is an original, you know, podcast episode that, you know, no one else out there could do. And, you know, even if you had, you know, you know, fake people or whatever they've got nowadays, you know, no one else could do this. And it's about thinking about ways where your content can really stand out. So can you use personal stories in your content that only you can talk about? Can you use things like case studies to highlight how you've done some things? So we have a client of ours called Jo, and she does great pieces of content where she really focuses on her, her own clients and teaches through what she's done through her own clients. So, you know, using case studies in that way, can you use things like, can you do your own original research? We've done this lately. We've done some research on entrepreneur mental health, where we've, you know, we've actually surveyed people around their, you know, mental health and entrepreneurship. 
and actually publish that content. No one, you know, ChatGPT can't do that because it's, you know, something that we have to do. Interviewing industry experts. You know, there's so many things that you can do to make your content stand out amongst everyone else. So if you can look at a piece of content and think, no one else could create this but me, then that's how you know that you've got something that's really going to to stand out above the competition. I love that. So if you could tell people only one thing, so every business owner, and you can each give me one thing, so technically two things. What is one thing that you wish every business owner knew about content marketing? I think it's taking ownership, actually understanding that it's your responsibility in order to solve problems in your business. So we explored a topic, which is if if you were to look at the problems that have happened in your business, whether it's client conversations, disagreements, things not quite going according to plan, there is a way to take responsibility and solve that from happening and prevent that from happening again using content. So is it that that client doesn't get that copy for that website that you've built for them? Is it that they thought that they were going to rank on the first page of Google after doing an article? What is it? What are the the sometimes confusing and unreasonable requests that people have? Is there a way that you can solve that problem and prevent it from happening again? So my big thing is it's your responsibility. And whenever a problem occurs, to stop it from happening again, create some content. And that's where we ultimately came up with the content fortress analogy, which is how to protect yourself using content. So that would be my single thing, which is it's your responsibility to prevent that from happening again. And you can prevent it using content. I mean, that both fills me with a lot of comfort and gives me even more work. So I'm appreciating how much work you've given me today, Martin. It's not often that I'm talking to a podcast <laughs> guest sorry. thinking, oh boy. I haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> How about you, Lindsay? <laughs> I would say it, it is a lot of work up front to create that kind of content. But if you're spending a lot of time with the wrong clients, it should save you time in the future. <laughs> or, yeah, it's yeah. that long-term <laughs> view. <laughs> yes. So mine would be to work on repelling the wrong clients just as much as you should work on attracting the right clients. So we all create content that helps us attract clients. Everyone knows how to do that. But actually, we should be proactively making sure that we repel the wrong clients from our business, the wrong people from our business. And by wrong, I don't necessarily mean bad people, but I do mean people who aren't the right fit for us. Because once we do that, we free up so much more time and we only generally speak to the right people. And it also builds a huge amount of trust and loyalty from, you know, the people that actually are the right fit. They really respect that you are not out there trying to make a quick book from anyone and everyone. You are selective about who you work with. So I think using content in that way to actively repel people <laughs> sounds counterintuitive, but it really does work and it makes you far happier in your business as well. I think it's interesting that you both have like reframed content into how can this serve your business beyond just the marketing element? I think a lot of times when you talk to people about content marketing, it's all about, here's how you can bring more people in. Here's how you get your leads. Here's what you should write. This is the type of thing you, whereas you are both really focused on almost beyond the funnel is what I like to call it when I talk about business, that it's not just about bringing them in. It's about bringing that right person because of all those long-term benefits, right? 
even all the yeah. extra work yeah. Martin's given me, it's long term, it's going to pay <laughs> off. Yeah, it does. And I think this is what we found where when we started to talk about the content fortress and, and, and putting the pillars in place, we always thought, is it just us that have dealt with this? Is it just us that have had difficult situations in our business that caused stress and and problems? And this is exactly why we did the research to back up what it is that people are struggling with. And some of the statistics in this mental health report that Lindsay mentioned are crazy. Like seven out of 10 people have lost sleep due to difficult client situations before. Now, that by itself, and forgetting about the other insane stats that, that are in that report, that itself is quite scary. And we've just found that from creating content that repels people and you know allows you to sign up clients sooner who are the right fit for you, it just eliminates all of that stress and anxiety. So it's just a case of, you know, they always say the the, the fool me once and you know that the you know the quote. And I think we took that with we took that approach with content. If someone reaches out and there's a bad situation and we don't solve that problem from happening again, then that's our fault the second time. You know, the first time it's it's okay, it can happen, but we need to create content to stop that from happening again. The reality is, is most people don't and they continue to take on clients that aren't the right fit. They're not in the right frame of mind. They don't have the right budget and they take on clients because they need to, the money where actually if you can just create content, protect yourself up front and then stop it from happening again, then eventually you just start attracting your dream clients and you never have to, you know, waste time with the wrong ones. That sounds wonderful. So where can everybody get this book so that they can go into all this protective content work that nobody's ever talked about before? Just go to jammydigital.com forward slash protect and that will automatically redirect you to a link where you can access the book and some other cool stuff as well. Wonderful. I will be sure to link that in the show notes for everyone because I'm pretty sure that there are several minds being blown alongside mine with this approach to content. So to finish up, I always ask my guests the same two questions and you can each give me an answer for this. First up, what is your number one lifestyle boundary for your business? You might have the same one on this one. That's a really good one. So for me, because we are a husband and wife team, for a long time, we spent a while talking all the time about our business. So now we have set times where we say this is for business talk and this is for, you know, our actual personal lives <laughs> talk. So that's one boundary that we had to put in place because otherwise we would only talk about business. Yeah, date night would not be exciting. Martin, do you feel like that's your number one lifestyle boundary as well? I think it's a good one and we, we're not always perfect. We get excited, you know, the great opportunities and things, but we try to have clear boundaries mainly because we are married and we would never stop getting excited about the business if we didn't at least carve out some time. Yeah, I think that must be really challenging because for most people, their, their partner, their friends don't necessarily understand the business. So you're almost like hampered from talking about it. Whereas if there's somebody in your house who understands exactly what's happening. The temptation must be huge. Okay. Finally, what is the worst piece of cookie cutter advice you have been given as an entrepreneur? Oh, I have the one for this. <laughs> the one that where you, I think it's from Richard Branson, nothing against him at all, but where you say, where he says, just say yes and then figure out how to do it later. I have always found that incredibly stressful and uh, not generally the best way to do business. I find it much better 
to know exactly what you do, know exactly who you do it for and go for those people. And if sometimes you have to say no, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I think there's a responsibility element to that as well, right? Which is why we do have some people just being like, sure, I can do this thing that I've never done before if you pay me this amount of money. And then we all have these really horrendous stories about this person that we paid to do something. Martin, how about you? I think build it and they will come is something that we have proven over and over and over again to be incorrect, which is just a website by itself is not going to deliver results. Traffic is everything. And, uh, and yes, I think the people who have, who have, who have done that before, you know, I'll say that might not be being completely transparent about, <laughs> about how it works. So I think, yeah, build it and they will come has never, never worked for us. Not in all the businesses we've ever done. You need a traffic generation source. The idea itself is not going to, not going to cut it. I feel like maybe it worked like back in the day, but once paid traffic and social media took off, you have no chance. No one's just going, no. oh, let me look for a fun website to scroll through. That'll be exciting for the afternoon. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, this has been such a fun conversation and I think so eye-opening for me, 100%, and I'm sure for the audience. Where can they find you both on socials or find Jammy Digital on socials so that they can learn more about what you do and carry on the conversation? Yeah, so you just search our names. We tried to keep it pretty easy for people. So you can search for Martin Humpbach on YouTube and TikTok, which is I love video. And Lindsay loves writing because she's just exceptional at it. So you'll find her on LinkedIn, Lindsay Cambridge. Great. I love how you've like divided and conquered the social media space <laughs> and with your expertise. I don't know about conquered, but oh. definitely divided. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you both so much for everything today. No, you're very welcome. Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having us. Really enjoyed enjoyed this episode don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review